Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford and I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they lived in another city around the world. And we have a very special show lined up for you guys today. One that I know is particularly interesting to me and interesting and interesting to most of the parents that I speak to. We're gonna learn a special guest here who is the um, Academy Director of a Spanish Academy, number one, and he has a professional background. So he's gonna really be able to break down his youth soccer experience and the youth soccer experiences uh, of people in Spain. And he's gonna really share those um, pathways with us. So just sit back and relax and enjoy the show. But before we get started, I wanna remind our guests about what we do here at Anytime Soccer Training. As a parent trainer, you know, I wanted a way to help supplement my child's or my children's soccer training in a way that was positive and not negative. And so we created a program called Anytime Soccer Training that will have over 1,100% follow-along videos covering all the major areas of individual skill development. As a matter of fact, I just trained my sons this morning and they're both at two different age levels and two different skill levels. It's just great to be able to hit play and then we do the two cone drills, we do the juggling drills, and then we do line cone drills and 1v1 drills and turns. And each video is about 10 minutes. And then we have longer videos as well. That's a great way for us to get a 30 minute workout of, of structure. And then we do some other free play and game type stuff uh, on the side. Um, it's anytime-soccer.com. And one more point on that, it's a parent trainer. I know our budgets are tight. So we've priced this thing to be less than a dinner for two for the entire year. Your support will be greatly appreciated as I and others try to make strides to help our children get better in a positive and not negative way. So that's enough of that. Now let's go, let's go on to the show. Now we're traveling to Spain and I have a very special guest here, uh, Joseta, and he is a club director for a Spanish academy. And I want him to take it over and introduce himself uh, and then we'll get started with the show. So welcome to the show, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for inviting me. It's, it's a pleasure for me to, to share my time with you. I'm, as you have said, I'm Jose Tabarca. I'm from, from Spain. Uh, I run uh, an academy here. I'm the director of coaching of an academy in the north of Spain called Huesca. And uh, well, we start uh, from four years old to uh, 19 years old uh, players. So it's, we have the whole process. We start a, a cold club, okay, from 4 to 12. And then after 12, they join, we select a little bit, and, and then we start the, the academy. And uh, as you have said, in, uh, in our academy, we, ha we have local players, but we also have uh, residents with uh, other players from Spain and, and from other parts of, 
of the of the world, including uh, American players. Wow, that's that's amazing. So it's truly international. So one thing I didn't catch is which city are you in? We're in Huesca. Is uh, is uh, between like four hours north from Madrid and and three hours west from Barcelona in between, and and we are very close uh, to France, to the borders of of France. So. Okay, so to our our loyal listeners, you know, I'm going to share his information and his academy in the cities and stuff in the show notes. So you don't have to get your notebooks out just yet. Okay, so welcome to the show. Now, everybody knows who listens to this show, the way I like to tee the show up is I'm going to give you a brief overview of U.S. pathways, uh, youth soccer pathways, okay? And then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ask you to do the same thing from um, your city in Spain's perspective. Okay, so here we go. So you arrive, you have a young child, let's say you have a 10 year old, you arrive in Cary, North Carolina, where I am, and you want to sign them up for youth soccer. Well, one of the first things I'm gonna tell you is get your pocketbook out, get your wallet out. You are going to have to pay. Okay, more or less, it's in and out, but but I'm I'm listening properly, so so let's try. Yes, yes. So you're going to get your wallet out, and that <laughs> means because in U.S. soccer we're under a pay-to-play system. <laughs> no matter what level, so then the amount that you pay will depend on the level you train at, how competitive the program is. At the earliest, and those and those levels are broken into categories. So at the earliest level, in the most basic level, where the kids are just having fun, the mom and dad are coaching, they're just um, they're just playing, and they have one practice. We call that recreational. Now here's another thing too to throw out there. As I've interviewed more and more guests, I've learned that our categories in America, for the most part, are a lot more rigid than the rest of the world. This may or may not be the case for you guys, but we have a clear recreational program that can go from youth um, five, as young as you five, all the way up into um, literally adulthood where you're just playing to have fun. Then, and no, let, me, let me say that. So there's two dimensions. It's the category of program, and then it's the organizations that host the program. Now in the state, churches, municipalities, clubs professional clubs so your equivalent of barcelona um youth clubs so clubs that are just like barcelona at the youth level but don't have a professional club you and you and me anybody can create a recreational program and these programs for the most part typically play intramurally now the reason that your equivalent of Barca, our equivalent of Barcelona would create a recreational program is because we are in the pay to play and they use this money. You can imagine that's a wide net, right? They use that, those proceeds to help pay for the entire programming they're offering. Then we have what we call a challenge program. Now, this is where it's in between rec and it's in between our competitive, but that's where most of the organizations that offer soccer that's where they fall off so the types of clubs that offer challenge programs will be your equivalent of barcelona so in us it's i hate to even say it in the same sentence but we have a professional club ncfc they will offer a challenge program 
we have another club. We have many clubs. We have another club called Triangle United. They don't have a necessarily, they don't necessarily have a professional club, but for all practical purposes, if you saw them at the youth level, they operate like they have a professional team. They would offer a challenge program. And that's for kids. That, that program fits two categories or it's created for two reasons. Number one is the child wants more than recreational, but they don't want to commit to travel soccer. Either the parents don't want to pay for it or the kid wants to do other stuff. And secondly, and that's going to get to the next point, when the child gets older, if they don't make what we call classic, which is another category of higher level soccer, the club will then say, well, you didn't make classic, but we have a challenge program for you. Okay, and that kind of happens as well once you get older. Which brings me to the next point. We, the final point is called travel soccer. And within travel soccer, we have classic and we have academy. <laughs> so academy would be what you would, in your mind, what you would picture as an academy. You know, one team, maybe two, at playing at the highest level in in their minds, they think in, in, in America is a little bit more complicated. You can have players playing academy who don't want to be professional. I found this to be unusual in other parts of the world. But for the most part, they, they want to get something out of the game. They don't want to just stop in high school. If you play in mm -hmm. academy, you, you want to go pro or you at least want to go to college. But what's different is, that I'm, I'm beginning to see is, you know how some club, most European clubs, this is Manchester United they're not gonna have like 10 teams. They're just gonna have their academy team and they may have a developmental team that's vying to get into the academy. But in the States, for the most part, our clubs are having an academy team and then they'll have all these other teams underneath them that are part of classic. And they do that again, because that helps subsidize the, because the parents are paying the majority of tuition, that helps subsidize the, um, cost now in your eyes what you'll see regardless of what view you have on american soccer in general let's assume that you you consider for the purpose of this uh, you accept that american soccer is a high level soccer let's assume when you see the academy you're going to say okay yes this looks like an academy team but once you start going down to these lower classic teams in your mind you're going to say uh, i you know that doesn't look like what i would expect from an academy type player <laughs> So that's the big difference. And a lot of that breaks down to motivation and whatever. But what makes the pay to play system quite unique is you, you can move here with all your pedigree as a coach, okay? And you wanna get started and you move here and you say, you get a job with NCFC. You may be, you may coach, you may be a great coach and you may coach one of these three or four level teams because you're just working yourself, working your way in. And parents who have kids who are not highly motivated, or maybe they are, they're just starting out soccer, will receive great coaching from you. Where I, my hypothesis is in other parts of the world, it may or may not work that way. There is no market system out there saying, yeah, we're gonna pay a coach that's good enough, like, good like you. We're gonna, we're gonna give them an incentive to work with kids who have no aspirations to go pro. So then we have all these other types of pathways, like we have school, you can play in your school. That starts about middle school for us, which is like 10, not 10, sorry, uh, maybe 12 years old and then high school. 
And then we have futsal. So you can play futsal, you can play indoor. Those futsal and indoor leagues are not as developed as our outdoor um, leagues are, but they're becoming more and more developed. Most people view in where I'm in my area view those as supplemental ways of having fun, keeping their kids active, but also getting, you know, some, some instruction. They don't, that's how they view it. They view that as a supplement to the, the main game. And then one more thing, and let's be super clear. In our country, our governing body, we have, we have one big overarching governing body, which is U.S. soccer. And U.S. <laughs> soccer is like your FA or whatever. And, they, and then they sanction teams. They, you can become part of U.S. soccer. And there, there are rules and regulations around that. And so there are barriers to entry there. Now, U.S. soccer basically has given the right or ordained, and I hope I'm getting this right, other agencies to create sanctions, sanctioning leagues and do all the cards and stuff. And one of them is U.S. club soccer. The only reason that matters to someone who is serious is U.S. soccer, the federation, has all these regional and national tournaments within their system. So you can play on a team that's part of U.S. soccer, and you can be involved in all these regional and national team tournaments. U.S. club soccer, which is easier for teams to become part of, you can also play in these regional and national tournaments as part of U.S. club soccer. But let's say you and I decided we were going to start a club in Cary, North Carolina. We can do that. And, and let's say that we do that and we just start out and we're not part of U.S. soccer and we're not part of U.S. club soccer. We would just be considered a recreational team. And there are high-level recreational teams floating around. And in our Spanish, uh, not Spanish, well, Hispanic community, Spanish community, Hispanic communities, Latino communities, they have a lot of those types of teams that play at a high level, but they're not part of the, you know, the <laughs> official whatever you want to call it. That's really big in areas like California, but it's actually big here in North Carolina because we have a big, large Hispanic population. As a matter of fact, my son plays on one of those teams in order for me to get him some different exposure and stuff. So that's it. That's U.S. soccer in a nutshell. Those are the pathways you have available to you. Now, mm -hmm. I want you to give me the short version of the pathways available in Spain in by, by category, and then I'm going to dig in deep on each one. Okay, perfect. Um, here is much easier because <laughs> Uh, I know a little bit about the, the U.S., how it works. I already knew uh, that there are many categories, many leagues, private leagues, all those things. Uh, here there are two options. Or you go to a school, which is uh, uh, the same school that you go. They offer uh, sports after the school. So, for example, here uh, at the age of 10 that you were saying, you finish a school and then you can stay from 5 to 6 p.m., in your school and you can do football, basket, many different sports, okay? That's one option that you have. And the other option, which is federated football, okay? Here, every single com competition is, uh, is governed by the, by the federation, okay? There is uh, the Spanish FA, which is based in Madrid, has also, in each region of the country, has uh, a small federation, like here, for example, in Huesca, is uh, Aragon, okay? In Barcelona, is Catalonian uh, Federation. 
in Madrid, Madrid Federation. So, and all those federations belongs to the Spanish, to the Royal Spanish FA. Okay, all the rules come from Madrid, everything comes from Madrid, and it's simple. If, for example, you and me, we create, I leave my academy, okay, and we create a new club. Uh, if we want to compete under the federation, it's easy. We just have to establish a club. Anyone can establish a club, okay? You just need three persons, okay? You create the club, and then you send uh, a, a letter to the federation saying that you want to participate with your club that you have created in the categories. What is going to happen? That you are going to start in the lowest category of each age. Okay, for example, if we start a U12, uh, maybe we start in the seventh division of U12 in Spain. Okay, if we want to go up to play against the best teams, then we need to make sure that we have good players to move to sixth division, then to move to three. So at the end, it's a, in my opinion, and I've been traveling around all the world uh, because of football uh, is the one is is the structure that i have seen more complete in the world i've been playing in 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 london i played for fulham when i was 15 and for example there uh, the the premier league if you play in an academy of the premier league you play against all, uh, all the players here is not is not like this okay for example real madrid u19 doesn't play against Barca U19. Okay, the leagues are completely different. They are, all of them, both of them are in the top league of, of U19 and U16, U15, but Madrid plays in the region of Madrid and Barcelona plays in the region of Catalonia, so they don't play against each other, okay? So, so hold on though. So before we go there, and that is perfect, um, I, wanna, I wanna recap what you just said really quickly. Because I do want to ask a couple questions mm -hmm. about this. Then I want to go and hone in on the school soccer first. Then we're going to get to the academy. And when we get to the academy in the uh, federation soccer, I want to do. I do want to talk about those divisions. Um, but I want you to do a quick pan through of your mind. Is there? And I'm. Uh, it's almost like a police investigation. Where were you? Where, where were you yesterday? Is there any other way a child can play structured soccer than those two? Nothing. Okay, good. Now, inter interview over. So before we get to the highest level, let's talk about the school soccer for exam for a second. And I also, oh, I, I do want to make one clarifying point from the U.S. side so that it just helps our reader uh, listeners understand something. Okay, you know how you said uh, you have the federation and, and, and anybody can start a club. So, the, so we would say the barriers to entry of creating a club under your federation are pretty low and then you just started a lower division. So our football, our U.S. soccer is the same as that federation and they have all these state bodies and those state bodies have their own governing bodies by region. So North Carolina, I think, might have four regions, for example. The problem is, and I hate to say problem, the situation. The situation is the barrier to entry to creating a club that's recognized by U.S. soccer is really high. <laughs> and this is for my U.S. listeners who are just getting into youth soccer. And this is based on me as a parent, no research. So take this as a grain of salt, my understanding. 
For example, if you and I came here and we wanted to start a club and be part of that U.S. soccer umbrella, we would have to have a recreational program. And I think it's something like 70, 80, something percent of our population has to be involved in recreational. And that alone is a no brand. That is a non-starter for most small clubs because they just don't operate like that. And then here's the kicker. The members of the, your region have to vote to allow you to be part of the region. And who's going to do that and say, yeah, you can have a third of my customers. So you'll never get a charter. <laughs> so that's why you never, you don't really get new clubs that are formed form under U.S. soccer. And then U.S. club soccer, on the other hand, is the alternative. And that's why most of these clubs are part of U.S. club soccer, because their barriers to entry are very low. You just need, like you said, a couple people to do it get your charter together and you're ready to roll. And then you can create your own league as long as you have, I think three or four other teams that say that are part of us club soccer that want to be part of the league. And so that's a bit of an aside, but that's not something we've touched on in the past. And I thought because of the way you broke it out, broke it down, it'd be good for us to help our listeners picture that. So now let's go back to school soccer. I like to start with extremes. Let's say, so what's the earliest my child can play structured soccer in school? And let me say in America, it's like 12, unless you're like in a private school situation. But school soccer in Spain, what's the earliest they can play? School soccer, I would say six. And then what am I, if, if I'm a parent, what is going to, is the school going to send me a letter asking me, do you want your child to participate in this school soccer program? And is there any tryout or are they just having fun? And who is the coach? So literally, what am I going to see? Yeah, it's the same communication that, that uh, with the notes, marks and everything, the school communicates with you. Look, this is the activities that our school is doing after class. If you want to join uh, some of them, just uh, ticket and, and then they they will start doing it. Mm -hmm. And who who will be the coach? Like, will it be a PE teacher or a? Yes, usually it's a PE teacher. Okay, usually it has to be a PE teacher or a, a, a coach with with a license under license with at least level one of coach. Mm -hmm. And in and in your. And, you, and, and I always tell the guests, feel free to say, I don't know, because I'm just asking these mm -hmm. questions. You may or may have a view. Do they perceive themselves as developing soccer players or do they look at it more like this is just a fun activity for the kids? I think it's more like a fun activity and doing a sport. At, at least at the school soccer, uh, it's, it's, it's like that, yes. <laughs> and how often do you think they practice? Two, twice, twice a week. And do you think the kids perceive themselves as being on the school team or a fun activity? In other words, do they go and play other schools or? Yeah, they play against other schools. It's true that it's not, it's not very competitive. Also at those ages, I, I find it all right not to be too competitive. They are six, seven, eight, nine years old that they just need to have fun and make sure that they are coordinated, coordinated uh, persons. And, uh, and yeah, I think is they, they just have fun. They are playing with her uh, friends from school. That's, that's the thoughts that, that they have. Now, 
and then they play every weekend. Now, how long does a, you think a season typically lasts? It goes from, uh, it's always the same, from September to June. Okay. Except so this year with, with, with the COVID, but if not, it's from, from September to June. This season we had to stop in, in March. Yeah, now that makes sense. Okay, so I'm going to ask you an end of the story question that I hear from my folks in London and then to see if this is relevant. At that age in school soccer, do you have, a, do you have scouts that are looking at kids that come to those games in any capacity that, that wants to bring them to academy or some kind of academy? You may have people who, who knows coaches or class, but to be honest, all those players who start in the in the school system, usually they try to jump into clubs. Uh, maybe in one year, two years, they try to jump in clubs because, as, as I have said you, it's not difficult because there are many categories, there are many leagues, okay? It's the same structure, but there are many leagues. So if they are really interested in uh, taking it more seriously, they jump into clubs and they always has uh, options and spots in different clubs depending on how good the player is he can go to the top division of his age or go to the third fourth fifth division yes so now you're you're six years old you started playing school soccer let's assume for the sake of argument that's all you wanted to do at what age does school soccer no longer become available for you 12 at 12 years old, no more school soccer. No more school. You need to jump to to a structured football in under the Spanish FA. And see, that's interesting because at 12 is when we start. But in American culture, we our school environment for athletics models college, which mm-hmm. doesn't even model anything, and definitely not in the UK and probably not in Spain. So we have this whole collegiate thing going on. So that's actually where it becomes pretty serious where you're actually playing other schools you're part of a conference and you can make it you can play in your state uh you're part of a conference if you win your conference you're in the state playoffs and then you go on and play for your state championship right and that starts at around 12 i don't know if you play state championships at 12 but you definitely start playing them when you get a little bit older okay so that's interesting but but what i can't picture is you don't even have like in your equivalent of high school, not high school, because you may have A levels, but nothing. before high school, no, no, nothing. you don't have any type There's, of. No, no, there is nothing. There is no other league. Uh, it has to be a federated uh, league under the Spanish FA. Okay, perfect. Now, For example, high schools, if a high school has a team, they will be in the eighth or seventh division of, of his age, but they will be competing under the structure of, of the Spanish FA. I mean that if, they, if every year they win, they will jump from eight division to seven division. If he has seven or eight generations of top teams, they can play a high school, can play against Real Madrid. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, so now what is the youngest? Now we're going to go to the other one, which is, um, uh, you know, the, the academy or whatever. Not the academy, but the entry point. But I want you to think about it from the parents' perspective first, and then we'll think about how to league. I have a six-year-old, and I want them to join to get structured football. <laughs> first of all, can they play on their team, their school team, and play in a federation club? 
and they can they can because there are different systems but it it doesn't happen because the games are at the same time usually on the weekends okay so i have a six-year-old let's start with six-year-old and i want him to start soccer in um in in spain now in the states we have private companies that offer some form of soccer experience so they like franchises you don't have that either we have uh, something called uh, technical or extra training for technical things. Sometimes you can find some companies that they do that, but they are not very popular, to be honest. Okay. So six, I want to start soccer. Now, what happens? You're saying I look for my local club and I'd sign them up. And how much am I going to pay, roughly? 25, 30 euros per month. Okay, 25, 30 euros per month. And as a parent, let's say I'm an alpha parent and I feel like I want my child to get the best training, the best whatever. Am I looking at any type of divisional table to figure out where that club, how competitive that, that club is? Or am, or am I thinking in general, culturally, whatever the local club is, that's kind of where you're going? Nice. The most that if you if we are talking in terms of money, the most that you're gonna pay at, at that age, 25 euros, 30 euros. No, I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't ask you right, but I'm saying because there's these different divisions and I want to get my child out there, and I let's assume I'm a pretty competitive parent. Am mm -hmm. I evaluating the division that the club is in at those younger ages to see which one might be better? Or culturally, yeah. do you just just put them into your local club? To, to be honest, at six, seven, you usually try to go to a place that you know that they work well, like they respect the players, they really work with them, uh, help them for the future, not, not more than being competitive. Because at the end, you are developing, first of all, you develop persons and then, and then uh, players. So I don't think, I don't think many people will see Okay, it's a six-year-old. Let's put it in the best team, no matter how the coaches or how the process goes later. Well, welcome to America. All right, so, <laughs> so, all right. Now let's explain the divisional system um, as best you can. Explain how the divisional system works. And here's what I'm interested in because you made a point that I that I was scratching my head on in Germany. And in London, their primitive, their academy teams only play academy teams. So I was just wondering, man, how does the travel work out? Now Germany's not exactly like that. They do have regional teams that they play. They don't necessarily just play Bundesliga. But the UK, they really do stick a lot to their academy teams, like you said. And I just couldn't picture how that would work unless it was like London, because they would have to travel a lot. So. Yeah, and in Dubai, it's sort of the same thing. Dubai did does it th that way, where you only play your academy teams. So how does it work in layman's terms? How many divisions are they there? What is What are we seeing? <laughs> For example, in, in it depends a lot in the population of each, of each region, okay? So, for example, in Catalonia, which the population, there are many populations, there, there will be more people more federated players, so you will find more leagues in each in each uh, age. In Madrid, it's more or less the same. Uh, Valencia is also a big community, uh, and it's also a big region, so there are many. If you go to a community like Canary Islands, that they don't have many population, instead of seven, league of seven leagues of U16, you may have 
you may only have three leaks of U16s, okay? And uh, basically, it's, it's, it's simple. For example, uh, if you are uh, in Madrid and, and you want to play in the top league, usually Real Madrid is always in the top league. They, they, never, they are never relegated, but they can. If they are last one season, they go down. Like, it, it doesn't matter that they have the bats here or nothing, they go down. So, so it's, it's, I think it's a common sense. If, if, you are in the, if you're in the last three places, you go down, and the, the clubs who are in the, uh, in the first three spots in the, in the second league goes up. So that's how the leagues are done. It's true that in Spain, you don't have to travel to compete against top clubs. And, and, and I think that's, that's the main thing why we can do this, because it's true that there are many, there are, sorry, there are less uh, users or, or there are less uh, players licensed here than in the US. But the, the level of the players, of a normal player here is, is really, really high. So that's why you don't have to travel a lot to play against, against top teams. Yeah, and, and you have to do that quite a bit in, in the States. So I'm going to tell you what I've learned through doing this show and then just to put this part in a bow. So in the UK, they have promotion and relegation within the youth system. But the way it's been described to me is it's if you win the league, you can go up, but it's a choice to go up. So you don't necessarily have to. And it's not as clear cut that if you are in bottom of the league, you automatically go down. I think it's a little bit of discussion there about where you think you should fit in the league. It's not clear cut. Germany, on the other hand, is a little weird because it's based on your the, the, the age above you. So if they go up, the next year your kid is going to go up. So it gets a tiny bit confusing because every year you, you, you're playing. And if they go down, then the next year you're going to go down. And that is based on if you win the league or you're last. But you're saying you, you guys model it the same way the professional leagues. The last three, <laughs> down. First three, up. And that is what it is. <laughs> now, how do the kids, from your perspective, and we have this conversation about, and this is not a football show yet, in the sense of we want to get too dig deep into the football. We want to literally learn what the pathways are like, but how do the kids perceive it? If, if they get relegated, that seems like that would be crushing. And what age does that start? What age does that start at? Seven, eight, you start with relegations. Do the kids even understand that at seven, eight? Yes. Yes. It's simple. It's in their ADN. Yeah. So they know. All right. Cause that's how my boys are, especially my younger one. He, he's on another level, but I can't, but half the kids are picking daisies at that age. So they know the deal. And then what, what impact culturally then, how do you balance winning versus development? If you know, you can get relegated or do, or, or do the people not care or do the coaches not care? Because it means, Oh, you're going to be in a league that's more suited for your ability. To be honest, it, it depends a lot in the, in the ages. For example, if you are, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, you know that if in one year you are relegated, maybe next year if you have a good generation, you will go up again. But it's true that at U15, U16, U17, U18 and U19, there is much more competitive. At, at U15, uh, everyone is pushing to make sure that they are not relegated, same as at, at U16. 
So, so it's true that at the end, at the end of the of the academy uh, football or development football, how we call it here, is more and more competitive. But it's how life is. So, so I don't think it's I don't think it's bad, and uh, and at young ages it could be bad, but it depends a lot on how the coaches interpret that and how you want to to give the information to the to your players. <laughs> okay, so that's that's very interesting. So what about the level of coaching? So let's start with first of all, is there a relationship between the division that the kid is in and the level of coaching? And then let's talk about and I'm let's deal with that first. Actually, let me ask it another way. Let me ask it another way. And I always, I always use this example. My kid comes there, lights out. Iniesta, Messi, Ronaldo, all wrapped up in one. And I always say that because I feel like if I just put that in the air, maybe it'll happen. Just kidding. But lights out, the best thing, best talent ever. What happens to that child? That child is, let's say that child is eight years old. What is their pathway like now? Is their pathway the same as everybody else and then they're spotted? Or can you knock on Barcelona's door and say, hey, you have to see this kid or how does it work? They're going to they're gonna find him easily. There are scouts all over the country here. All the clubs, not only Barca, Real Madrid, not only the top ones, mm -hmm. as scouts uh, everywhere. Also clubs like Levante, Villarreal, uh, maybe what you consider um, small clubs they will they have people and they invest uh, money on on make sure that they get the best the best players from 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 the youth ages but it's true that at the end for example we have the case of rayo vallecano in madrid very good academy but when they turn 16 some of their players uh, they go to real madrid barça atletico because uh, they are able to make a professional contract while Rayo Vallecano cannot afford to make professional contract to all the players uh, who move to, to their U17 team. Okay, so here at 16, you can sign a professional contract. I think it's the same as in the US. Yeah, so, so if, if I'm a parent, are you telling me you can't knock on Barcelona's door, you need to sign up for your local club, but trust me, they're going to find them. Is that, is that the answer? If he is talented, 100% that they are going to find the player. 100%. Okay. Now, let's talk about the what's the highest level. So how does the academy system work? And let me, let me break it down like this. In the UK, they have academy football, youth <laughs> football, and then they have grassroots football. And that's a clear distinction. How does that work um, in Spain, considering that if you keep winning, you can play against Real Madrid? How does that work? <laughs> Is there a clear professional academy teams and non-academy teams? You have. Uh, here we don't have the word academy. We are all clubs, okay? But it's true that usually the, the clubs who are in the top leagues, like first, first division of his category or second division, they are usually the clubs who better work, okay? For example, there are differences between a team who compete in fifth category and a team who compete in second category of his age. For example, in, in, in number of sessions that they do, in number of coaches per, per team, usually a top place, a top club, 
they will have at least four or five coaches for for one team. Uh, we don't belong to a La Liga. We are not a La Liga academy, for example. And in in all of our teams, there are at least four coaches. And they also do so, gym. They train four times a week. So it depends on the level and also the director of coaching. It's 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 a little bit. You you go to the best process when you join a club you need to see the big picture you don't, you don't need to see okay this year where i compete no no you need to see how that club works for for the development of my son or you understand yeah but so but let me unpack that then and i want to be able to visually see it so <laughs> you don't use there's not a clear distinction between academy but you know, let's just say La Liga. I play, my child is lights out and, and the La Liga club scouts them. <laughs> then let's assume, and we're just talking in theory, what my child went from the local bottom division team to La Liga. <laughs> what am I as a parent to the La Liga club? What am I as a parent going to see differently? And you, you, you said it, but I want to get into the details. So let me give you an example. In Dubai, um, their uniforms are going to be there. They don't take the uniforms home. They're in the changing, changing room. In Germany, you're going to have, like you kind of said, they're going to be four or five coaches for one team, and they're watching every single move. In London, or not London, Luton, I interviewed a pre-academy player, and he was like, culturally, the kids are just very locked in compared to even the pre-academy, which was extremely competitive. So what am I literally going to see? I you know, Real Madrid says, we want your son to come and do a trial. What, how many days of training is he going to get? It, is he going to be pulled out of school? In terms of training, for example, if you compare Real Madrid against a team of his league, maybe they have the same days of training. The difference, usually Real Madrid will have better coaches or all of their coaches will be full-time, while maybe... If you are in another academy, you have four coaches, yes, but there are only one who is full-time. Uh, facilities, you cannot compare Valdebebas facility with, with a, a normal craft facilities. But, 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 let me, but let me interrupt, though. So even though the training is going to be on par, how many days if you had to do they train? And you can use your academy, for example. How many days is a 12-year-old? going to train and how many hours or will they be in that structured environment for example i th i think in terms of days will be the same real madrid uh, is doing four days and we are doing also four days so let me mm -hmm. let me and let me repeat that for our listeners so you're saying 12 year old is going to be getting trained in a structured four. environment four days a week and then mm -hmm. yes. how many hours a day is that is a is that session the session will be 75, 90 minutes, and then I'm sure that they will do, uh, maybe some of them will do extra technical training or they do video analyze, uh, they do gym at some time ages, not at U12, but maybe at U16 or U15, they start with the technique of the gym. So, so, so let me unpack that. Then the extra technical training that they're going to do, is that them doing it on their own? you know, initiative, or is that part of the soccer no, curriculum? May, may, maybe one Real Madrid coach consider that uh, that player needs to work in crosses, for example, and he spent 30 more, more minutes with that player working in, in crosses. 
it depends and also the same with the video analyze uh, uh, one day a week i'm sure that they do we do it so real madrid will will do it 100 they will have video analyze uh, other day they will they may have a, a workshop with nutritionists with sports psychologists is is normal they will do i don't know three hours or, or maybe two hours an average of two hours per day eight hours yes plus the game 10 10 hours 10 12 hours per week okay so um all right so we got that so that's a full array of training that is most of our listeners children will not be experiencing that level of training some of them will we will experience the days but the individual stuff and that's one of the things that i don't you know i kind of don't like about where we are you have to kind of piecemeal all that stuff together as a parent now gaming program you admit you mentioned that you're in a league if if you had to throw a number out there and you could use your own league experience how many teams are in the league how many games are these kids playing per season and how long is a season and what does the tournament situation look like and let me give you an example in the states we we're our programs are normally a 10-month program when you start getting into an academy level though that 10 month is not really 10 months it's 12 months with some plan breaks okay and you know one of the things i actually don't like is they play too many games but at the academy level they actually forced them to scale the games back so they may i don't want to speak out of turn because i don't know exactly but maybe like 30 games a season something like that <laughs> and something not I, I don't know exactly i hate to say that and a season might be again the equivalent of six months or something something like that a game once a week but not all the time because they really want to emphasize the training part of things and the season is broken into two, two, I'm sorry, the year is broken into two seasons. So they have a little bit of time off, say for a winter break, a little bit of time off for a summer break. But many of these kids then will do other stuff on their own. But at the academy level, they're not allowed to like guest play um, when they're off unless the academy director allows it, which is gonna be rare. So I said a lot there, but how many games are you playing? How many teams are in a league? You know, how long is the season? Just the blocking and tackling. For example, I put you an example with, with our teams. We start preseason 1st of August. Uh, we do one month, one month and a half of preseason with friendly games. You will be playing six friendly games uh, in preseason. And then you start the season mid-September. You play until Christmas. Then you, we have uh, 10 days of break in Christmas. The second, third of January, we are back into trainings. And then we go until June. So we, we usually play between 38 and, and 44 um, games per year, every team. That's, that's counting the league. And sometimes they, depending on the age, they have also cup. So at least, yes, at least uh, 44 38, 44 official games plus uh, the preseason preseason games that will be six. So, okay. So when you let's talk about being cut. So we know I can only imagine at Real Madrid's academy, which they don't necessarily consider an academy. They're a club that just plays at a high level. <laughs> yes. You can be cut from the team or the program, right? You can be <laughs> just released. But is Real Madrid having? Do they have these parallel teams? Like, 
we have our first team and then we have some of the no, nothing. nothing. They only have they only have the the top teams. Primary they only have top teams. The rest is foundation or but but it doesn't belong to the to the structure of the club. Same so what do you Barca. mean by foundation? What I'm asking is if the club team and I'm making this number up is 15. So let's say at U12 there they can only take 15 players. The 16th player, the 16th player, you're saying is not going to be in Real Madrid. There is not, uh, like Real Madrid doesn't have a B team of U16. No, no, yeah. they only have one U16. And then they may have four players on loan with other teams if they are really interested in not lose the player because maybe that player later is going gonna to improve or physically he's not ready to compete. At, at U16 with Real Madrid, but maybe in two years for U18, he will change and maybe he has three, four players on loan, but they don't have two or three teams of U16. No, no one does. But at the younger ages, is there any type of developmental pool where you'll have more players as you start trying to whittle the funnel down? Or is it always like we only got one team at U8, one team at U9, and that is what it is? For example, uh, it's true that there are, uh, for example, Barca, they have the Escola, but it doesn't belong to the club, to be honest, it's a different entity. Barca Escola is a different entity, it's the same one that do many camps uh, all over the, the US, Australia, it's a making money thing, to be honest. They do uh, that in Spain, uh, and there are many players who go there, but they don't compete in the league under football club Barcelona. So they can go there for training. They are six, seven, eight years old. And maybe one of them jump into Barca Academy, but that's that rare. That's that's not the normal case. Usually Barca pre-select the, the players for their U9 and then it's is is how they start. So so players who train in that environment that and I've seen that logo here in the States because they do the camps and they have teams. Yes. Do, are, they, are they part of a team that's under that umbrella? And so they're just, in my expression I would use, they're close to the sun. So they're, they're close to Barcelona. But in, are they in a team or is that just a training? Um, no, it's a training center? team. They okay, don't compete with. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they don't compete. All right. So we're moving along quickly. Now, when you start getting into residency, you know, we've heard the um, – you know, the story many times of of uh, Messi going and staying and being in a residency. We'll unpack that. What does that look like for that top one or two percent of kids, but yet the average experience of the top players? When does residency work? So, for example, I'm thinking of a couple of scenarios. You are you live near the club so you can stay with your parents. That's one scenario. But But you're underage. Another scenario is you're in Spain and you're really good, but you don't live near the club. Are there limitations on what, how that works? Host families, like literally, how does residency, when, you, when do you start hearing about that as it pertains to these top teams that are not necessarily academies as you described them? Well, it's, it's uh, one more service that, that you give to the player. It's true that in terms of football, the service and all the resources are the same than, than 
a player that belongs to the club but is not in the in the residence so they they all have the same resources okay uh, in terms of football okay but it's true or soccer sorry but it's true that um, you have uh, something else for example for me uh, the most important thing that they get the players who are in our residence is that they don't they are all because of football okay they are all here because of the soccer part but uh, in in the future they will realize that they have friends and connections in australia south korea england uh, senegal uh, arab emirates us brazil peru so that's in my opinion that's one of the biggest things that they are getting okay and also the education like uh, and that's very important they all have jobs responsibilities they start to look after themselves uh, they start to behave like professional which at the end it helps uh, it helps in their future not only in in terms of football also in the future of uh, if they are engineers or if they are architect or it helps to they manage their time they need to be they grow up uh, earlier and also more usually more structured. They it's difficult that they jump into uh, bad pathways or things like that. You know what I mean? Because yeah, no, I totally understand that. I, and I think you know, I actually in a former life I worked in education. And I was going to create a residency program inside of the cities <laughs> that did something like that. It was going to be residency for four days and then you go home for uh the rest of the week and then kind of do that but what i want to dig deep into is the what i call the blocking and tackling literally how does it work let's say that barcelona they're in madrid correct i don't want to mm -hmm. embarrass myself let's say that barcelona sees a kid far away across the other side of the country and they're like man we gotta have this child can they is it legal for them to invite that kid to be part of the residency program yes and if 100%. it is at what age any age any age and then on the ground does it usually work like hey we're going to bring the entire family to be here even and that cat kid is going to be in the residency program or does it look like we're going to invite the whole family to be here they're going to live with the family but they're going to train with us or is it a case by case basis just based on a lot of nah, he, he he will go 100% he will go into that residence okay all right so now you have all those benefits now we do all the la liga clubs have residency programs not all uh, but most of them they have they do have it, yes. and then and then how would you describe your club's residency program. And for the folks listening, can you remind us of, remind them of your name, just say your name again and then the name of your club. How would you describe your residency program? Uh, well, my name is Jose Tabarca and the residency is, uh, is in West Academy. Okay. Okay. And uh, well, it's basically a player gets about, it, it also depends a lot in their studies. Okay. We have players who are, doing the normal uh, studies in in spain there are others who are doing online studies okay for example we have many americans that they do online studies to keep on track with their with their education over there 
and they get up at 7:30 a.m. Have breakfast. After that, they have gym session. So uh, there are groups, and and everyone goes with with a coach to the gym. They work on on what they have to work. Then they go to to class. There are uh, tutors and and uh, teachers working with them, uh, depending on the program that they are studying. After that, they have lunch at two, uh, at four p.m. or three thirty p.m. They are usually uh, in the chain rooms. Okay, we use a lot of the chain rooms here in Spain. It's, I know that in in the U.S. it's more common to jump straight to into the into the pitch here at three thirty. They will be in the chain rooms. Coaches are also at three thirty, but they don't go they don't go until to the chain room until four p.m. They 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 will explain the session target of the sessions and at 4:30 from 4:30 to 6 or from 4 to 6 uh, they train after training they they have some food again and after that they may have for example the ones who doesn't speak spanish they have spanish classes some of them has extra uh, private lessons of maths depending on on how they are doing in their in their studies and then at 9 is dinner and then Talk with the family a little bit and go to bed. That's that's a normal day for for one player of of our academy or of our residence and also uh, Real Madrid residence or or any or any residence. The most important thing, in my opinion, are the human resources who are around the players. Uh, one very important figure for us is the is the sports psychologist and also the coaches. The coaches here are really, really involved in the in the education of the players. I'm telling you that there are coaches who go to the school with the with the with the teachers and with the sports psychologists to meet the the teachers of, of the of the player of the school. So they see that the the coaches is really also focused in, in their education of the players. Okay. So that was great. And so that's a day in the life. And what I'm going to do is, again, I'm going to tag you on this interview in Facebook and then folks will reach out if they have specific questions because a day in the life of a, a child who's in a residency program is something that's personally very interesting to me and also I'm sure interesting to other parents. So we're about to wrap up the interview. I got a couple more rapid fire questions and then we're going to wrap up the interview. First question. Let's assume that for whatever reason, I think my child is good enough to be in um, Real Madrid Academy. And I see all the, all the training and all the stuff they're getting, okay? And I say to myself, I want my child, let's say my child is 10. I want my child to get that same level of training, even though they haven't been selected for the academy yet. What, let me tell you in the States, what we would do, what we tend to do. We, of course, try to put them in the best club environment we can, fine, okay? <laughs> but then we have these clinics, right, that are focused, and you know how it works. We got these clinics that are focused <laughs> on technical training. Then some parents will go out and hire a personal trainer who's focused on this, and some might do this. And then a parent like me, I'm old school, I work with my kids. I know that's like a foreign concept today. So... And then in addition to that, if I want them to get more contact hours in a team environment, I can actually sign them up to play for other teams and I can sign them up to guest play. I'm just throwing the entire um, kitchen sink at my child in terms of soccer to try to recreate what I perceive they would be getting in Real Madrid. No judgment, right, wrong. I'm just using this as a hypothetical. 
Now, in your case, parent has a 10-year-old. They think they should be in the Real Madrid Academy, so they want them to get the same level of training. What tools are in their arsenal in, in your city to recreate that level of training? Or you might say it doesn't work that way because they're free playing so much anyways. I don't, I don't know. At, at the end, in my opinion, Real Madrid is, is something uh, huge. Uh, we try to, we and, and the rest of the class, try to operate in the best uh, possible way. But it's true that at the end, Real Madrid apparently will have the best coaches, uh, more resources than, than an academy like us. Uh, they will have uh, usually the best players will be there, so sessions will be more competitive. So it's difficult. It's very difficult to. It's, it's impossible to bring the same that they have there in Madrid to bring it here, for example, to Huesca to our academy. But in terms of yeah, but let me clarify for a second. If I'm if my team's club is only practicing two days a week, and I want them, and I want my son to be training for four days a week. I know it's not going to be Real Madrid, but I want to get two extra trading days in a structured team environment. Is there any way of doing that? Yeah, if you go to a top to a top club of this area, you will, will have 100%, you will have four trainings per week. But let's assume for the sake of argument that my child, and I'll tell you why I'm asking this, and see, to my Europeans listening, this is a very weird question. Like, what are you talking about? I even have to explain what I'm talking about. So in a pay-to-play system, it's not just based on skill. So my child can have two left feet and they can get um, four training days, you know, a decent coach, this license and all this kind of stuff. And the rest of the world is like, no, it didn't work that way. And so the answer may be, you just can't. And that's fine. In this, so what I'm saying is, what if they can't make that team? They, you know, you have a 12 year old, they just started out and they can't make that top team to get four training days. Do they have any, thing available other than just nothing play just play until you get better nothing. and then work at home. They, yeah they, they can work at home uh, but nothing under an under structure 100 okay and All being right. in two clubs is something that no class will allow that okay so you can then, you can talk with a coach and put them two extra sessions but not with a team yeah, so that's interesting because you remember how I told you we have U.S. soccer and then we have U.S. club soccer. This is going to get into the weeds a little bit. At the younger ages, very younger ages, most clubs don't register with both of them. They register with one or the other. So in theory, you can play for two teams because one will be their car. It's like insurance. You'll have a, you know, maybe like a national, like a passport. You'll have one for with U.S. club soccer, and they don't speak to U.S. soccer and vice versa. As they get older, though, the clubs register with both bodies to prevent the kids from playing on more than one team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is in the weeds, but then the way our Hispanic clubs work, begin. remember, they don't want to be recognized. And one of the reasons they don't want to be recognized is because their kids play for their local Hispanic team and the official whatever that team is. And if they were recognized and became part of one of these governing bodies, that would not be allowed. So that's, that's interesting. Okay, so now we're wrapping it up. Culturally, do parents, in your opinion, if you just was able to survey 100 Spanish parents, 
do they train their kids individually? What, I'm sorry, not, what percentage? Is it 0%, 1%, 20%? Go outside and work with their kids. I would say not zero because maybe you have one out of 10,000 players, but 0.5%, less than 1%. It's okay. very, very, very weird. And then what percentage of Spanish parents, in your opinion, pay someone to train their kids individually? Less than 1%. Okay, so that's not a big thing. And that's interesting. Now, in terms of, and this is another cultural question, sports specialization. You know, in America, we have a lot of popular sports. Mm -hmm. What is it like? I know basketball is pretty popular in Spain, but do the kids play a, lot, a variety of sports until they're, how does that work? Most of them, they just play one. Yeah, okay. And because we're going over, I'm just doing some rapid fire questions. Now, it's one more thing you said is important to me. Sports psychology. I hope I got that right. So the mental side of the game, what are you seeing? What games have you seen? Can you give us an anecdotal story of anything like where, um, yeah, a sports psychologist has actually helped a youth player? And the reason I'm saying that is because we're doing a show, a series called Raising the Whole Child, where we dig into that. And that's just not an area I'm familiar with. So when it comes to high performance and performing, can you give me an example of when of what your sports psychologists do and how it helps those youth players? <laughs> For example, they work, he works, his, his name is Ruben Sarvise, and uh, he works individually. He, he does some work, some workshops with, uh, for all of them, but it's true that he works individually. He works with uh, players and he also works with us, with coaches. So we have, as coaches, we have targets. So for example, one month, we will have target as, as uh, coaching staff and also individual target as coaches. For example, this week, my target as a coach is to improve my communication with the players. And then you film yourself uh, while you are training and you, and you improve a lot like a coach. So he does more or less the same thing. Okay, the things that I like him a lot is um, the activation of each player right, uh, before the game. For example, there are players that they need to be uh, really activated uh, for the game and players that if they are extra activated, they don't perform properly. So he works a lot. He gives tools for the ones that need to be more activated. He gives tools to activate themselves uh, to arrive to the perfect level of activation that they require and for the ones because sometimes you are very activated for one game and sometimes not okay so uh, what's a, if, give me an example of a tool okay for example if you if, if you are uh, not activated for one game and you need to be uh, activated or you are a player that needs to be activated there are players that doesn't need that but you are a player that needs to be activated maybe finding tools like okay i'm i activate myself with this kind of music okay then make sure that you have music this day oh i activate myself watching videos of these players the game before the match okay then make sure that on friday if you're playing saturday so that's the way he give tools talking with the players to make sure that first of all for that he needs to find uh, with at which level of activation the player performs better or worse okay if you perform better when you are really activated then 
he's going to give you tools to be more activated, talking with you. So for me, it's, it's, it's a person who has changed all of us. He has changed uh, everyone, even the chefs. He has changed the chefs. He has changed the tutor of the players, the, the teachers, the coaches, the physiotherapists. He has changed everything. He's, he's, he's very good, and, and I think he's one of the most important uh, resources that, that we have in our academy, and I'm sure that it will be the same in other parts. That's absolutely amazing because this is an area that I'm learning about because it's yes, huge. I played I played sports, but I didn't play at a anything that would be can remotely considered high level. And so I'm learning how important this is. And as you were speaking, I was actually thinking about as a parent trainer, maybe I should film myself and how I interact with my boys. First of all, <laughs> share that it's kind of tricky though. Um, because when they know the camera's on, they behave a little bit better. I actually was going to like film our, our training sessions all the time because they behave so much better when they're being filmed, but I don't want to torture them. But I do want to secretly like kind of some kind of way film myself to see my interaction in a natural way so that you I can improve. improve a lot if you do that. You'll see. Yes, yes. It's a huge change. So, for example, we have, as I have told you, we have targets. Like the coaching staff will have targets, but also uh, the individual staff. Uh, the head coach will have one particular target depending on uh, things that he has to improve because player has to improve things, but also coaches will, will have to improve many, many things. So we have targets and during the season, we, we try to improve those targets and, and he, he control uh, us and he's, he, he's improving everyone. <laughs> okay. Wow. Sorry. Okay, so you've been so gracious with your time. Again, guys, if you just joined us, this is Neil Crawford with the Anytime Soccer Training in the Inside Scoop. And we've been having a wonderful conversation about youth soccer pathways in Spain. Now, so the final two questions, or hopefully the final two questions, we'll see, because I've been really, really picking your brain. So you guys have American players training in your Spanish academy now, what is the age happens? Is that a service that you offer? Is it parents taking initiative and finding you guys? Sort of how does that work? And then when they first get there, try to help us understand the, if there's a talent, talent gap, maybe there isn't a talent gap, things that you see that they're doing differently than how you guys train and how you have to kind of help them relearn mm -hmm. stuff. I'm throwing a lot at you. And then you got to help us understand where they were at in their club. So an example, my son happens, I'm, I own a personal training company. So my son is probably the most technical kid on his team, right? And so then if I send him to Spain, I'm trying to get from you what would he yeah, I have a good, a good idea. I got okay, the question. good. I, I kind of so, go overboard, but you know, that's kind of <laughs> how I am. I know you're like, you're looking at me like, I get it, but that's how I am. But you know why it is? Because, you know, and that's the, that's the motivation behind the show. People talk so general and they assume we know this stuff and I don't know anything. So I kind of explain things to people in a way that <laughs> assuming they don't know anything. And they're looking at me like, dude, I've been doing this all my life. So anyways, with that being said, Take it away, American experience in your academy. 
Perfect. The first question that you have said that uh, how we recruit uh, players or how we uh, bring players here from America is some of them usually we go there and we watch the players so we we watch some players watch uh, games and then uh, we talk with the coaches and the coaches put us in contact with with uh, parents there are others who have sent videos or contact the academy then we we have watched the videos and and we ha we have uh, invited the player for two weeks here into our academy he has been experiencing two weeks uh, everything residence and everything and we've been able to watch the player here in our contest which is always different uh, that's how we uh, recruit and, and how we uh, get players okay uh, about what they found first of all they found that they need to learn spanish as soon as possible okay the first three months for us is very important and uh, and we focus a lot with the private teachers that they have in the residence that they need to uh, do at least two three hours per day of spanish okay that's the most important part because at the end they will adapt themselves uh, quicker and they will they will feel much better they will understand the coaches everything and uh, in terms of training okay to be honest what we found from uh, american players usually they physically they are usually better than the spanish players and I I'm going to tell something that for you, maybe it surprised you, but technically, most of them are better than our players in Spain. Okay, because I think in, in, in America, the individual training uh, is in the culture. Here we train more as a team, not individual uh, things. Uh, the big difference, in my opinion, is the decision making. Like we, at the end, if, if you realize Spain, we are physically uh, worse than Germany, worse than England players. Uh, technically, we are usually clean with the ball. We are, but the main difference, as, as we know that we are physically weaker and technically we are good, but nothing like Brazil or something like that. The main thing for us, and, and I think that's why Spanish style is, is like it is, is that the only thing that we have to compete against other nations and other leagues and, and other uh, teams is the decision making. And, and, and I think uh, that in Spain is uh, much, much uh, or more developed in, in terms of decision making than any other countries all over the world. The, the way that the Spanish players interpret and understand the games since eight, nine years old is, is, is very, very, very good and higher than, than in any other things. But at the end, it became because we had uh, that handicap that physically we cannot compete, that technically we are good, but not Brazilians. So the way that the Spanish system and the Spanish methodology started to think more about the decision making is because of a handicap that, that we have. That's, that's the biggest thing and the biggest change that, that they find, that they need to start thinking while they are playing. Why I did this, why I have to do this, uh, all, all that thing. That's, that's, in my opinion, the, the biggest change that they are gonna find and, the, and that they find. So if I'm a Neanderthal parent who goes over there and visits my child 
playing soccer, not, I'm sorry, visits my child is in your residency program. Is the poor decision-making going to look like they're losing the ball or is it going to look like they're making the pass? They're not losing the ball, but they're not uh, being aggressive enough or they're not putting pressure on the defense. What, what am I going to see? And then, and then off the ball, what am I going to see that's going to let me know, and I might not know because I'm not qualified to know this, that what's going on in their heads is not what you guys would like to be going on in their heads. For example, the, in terms of decision making, I'm talking about, for example, he may do one good pass, okay, but he's making that pass to a player who has a man very close to him or a defender very close to him. So he's not giving time to the teammate. Here we try to make sure that you give time to the player that you pass the ball. The same defending. Uh, maybe when you are in a 1v1, American players are very aggressive and maybe they jump uh, in a 1v1 and maybe they need to stop the, the 1v1 and give time to the team to come back. So that kind of things is we will see that the player is very good or talented technically and physically, but we will have to see if we are or if we have the resources and the time to make that player change and improve in the decision making because if not, it's true that he's not going to have a, a career here. So that's what we need, what, that's what we see a lot or what we uh, try to, to, to see in those two weeks that, that we have a trialist uh, here. But they realize that a lot. Uh, all the players, they will tell you that. So what's the youngest age that you guys have for Americans that come over there? How this, young? This season, for example, we are uh, recruiting uh, 2008, 2008, 2007s. Okay. Usually yeah, so when they are 13, a... 13, 14 is the right age. Yeah, my son is uh, 2010. So, so what are you seeing, though, that some, from someone who didn't grow up in that culture, doesn't have, may not be polished in that decision-making ability, if they come at that age, is that still enough to get them on the right yeah, track? Yeah, 100%. Okay, okay 100%. that's... 100%. There are plenty of time. If they arrive with 14, 15 years old, we have plenty of time. Okay. The most the most difficult part is okay. when you find a very talented player at 18 and you only have one year to, to make sure that he changed all his decision-making, that, that's nearly impossible. Oh, no, I understand. And I'm going to end the show with this, and I'm going to tell you something, because you are a, you know, a seasoned professional, a lot of experience. I'm going to tell you something from a dumb American who didn't grow up playing the game, something I didn't realize until much later in my soccer matriculation. If you only watch the game on TV, this is, might sound crazy to you, okay? But if you only watch high-level professional soccer on TV, the decision-making process seems to be so much easier because you're looking like the space here, the space there, the space there. <laughs> but, um, oh, God, who came? Arsenal came, and they were playing some team. You know how they do these preseason tournaments in, uh, in the States for promo? Playing some Italian team. They were supposed to play Roma. And as a treat to my sons, and they were playing in my hometown. So as a treat to my sons, I went all out and got some really nice 
seats and we were really, really close. And it was literally like I was watching, uh, uh, oh God, uh, a Kentucky Derby, how fast the players were moving. It was like horses. So I'm saying that to say, uh, it hit me like, oh my goodness, you don't see that guy way across the field the way I see him. This probably sounds so crazy to somebody who played soccer. But to me, it was like, oh, that's why they don't see that guy that's like right there. Because it's happening so fast and everybody's moving so fast. And you're seeing it not at an angle, but you're seeing it at the same level. And then so, <laughs> and they're closing down so quickly. So um, it's so fast. So that may sound so obvious to someone who grew up playing the game. But for me, for someone who didn't grow up playing and only watched high level on TV, um, that was extremely illuminating. So I will end that from that perspective. And I really appreciate that. And this conversation will continue. As a matter of fact, I may invite you back on as one of our first guests just to talk about football at some point. But um, this has been really, 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 really great. And if you just, and just as a reminder, this is an inside scoop. My name is Neil Crawford, founder of Anytime Soccer Training. Check out anytime-soccer.com to collect your 50 free ball mastery videos and also to get great content like this. And I'm joined with Jose Tita. I hope I said it right. I may have messed it up. Jose, yes, it's fine. Yeah, I want you to, I want you to take the show away, giving us your parting words, parting advice, how people can contact you. Don't worry too much about the details because we're gonna link it in the show notes, but let people know that you're available and, uh, and, and how it all works. And then and we'll wrap it up. Sorry, Neil, I, I lost you. Oh, sorry, I may have lost it. I, I was saying that, um, just go ahead and give us your any parting words on how people can contact you or, um, you know, the best way to reach you. You don't have to go in details because we're going to link a lot in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And then we'll wrap it up. And any parting advice you'd have for us dumb American um, parents out there who are who are raising kids in a competitive soccer environment? Okay, well, you can, uh, you can contact me through uh, social media, <laughs> like, like you in this case, uh, or, or they can contact you directly, Neil, and, and you can filter a little bit and and I will be uh, happy to to try to talk with with everyone who is interested in in something that we do or questions that that they have. I love to share uh, information about football, how we think, and also uh, learn from others. All right, so that's great. Thank you so much for your time, and folks, let's get better together. <laughs>